The best weekend in football is just a couple of days away as the divisional playoffs are set. It's now or never for Ravens quarterback Lamar Jackson and 49ers coach Kyle Shanahan to get it done. Will the Bills slay a playoff dragon versus the Kansas City Chiefs? And Mike McCarthy stays in Dallas? The Indiana Pacers make a significant upgrade, adding former Raptors guard Pascal Siakam. Can they compete for Eastern Conference supremacy? Iga Swiatek overcomes the scare, but some other top women's players exit at the Australian Open. If sports is what you want to hear, then you've come to the right place. It's all coming up, but first, this message. J Reels here to spend a brief moment and share a friendly reminder to please subscribe, rate, review the podcast on whichever platform you listen to on the regular. Just so we can increase the visibility of the J Reels podcast to those who aren't familiar with it. Leave plenty of stars, write a favorable review. It will go a long way for the curious listener looking to hop on board to get a dose of entertaining and passionate sports talk. For the visually inclined, please subscribe to my YouTube channel at J Reels as I post daily shorts and weekly vlogs, not only delving into the world of sports, but follow me up my journey to take the podcast and channel to new heights as I provide an in-depth behind-the-scenes look at what it takes for yours truly to produce content on a day-in, day-out, week-in, week-out basis. It goes without saying how much I truly appreciate all of your support. And without further ado, the J Reels podcast begins in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Let's get this sports podcast party started, all right? The J Reels Podcast. Why don't you wait until July 1st to make an announcement? What a disgrace. He can rack up all these numbers in October, November, and December, but what really counts is let me see this in January. The Sports Rebel Without a Pause, delivering fast-paced, jam-packed sports talk like no other. Listen, I gotta call it as I see it, he is not a good player. I'm sick and tired of having to deal with the disappointment of this franchise. When does it stop? And yes, another winter that I can sleep in peace. Coming correct, direct, and in full effect. Let's get it. This is the J Rules Podcast. Welcome aboard. What is happening, Michael people? Greetings. How are you? How's it going? How's everybody doing out there? What is the latest and greatest? Hope everybody's doing well, feeling fantastic, in excellent spirits. There's no stopping yours truly, as I'm about to relay all that's happening in the world of sports as we get to the latter part of January already, as this is the J Reels Podcast with your host J Reels. For my first timers, welcome aboard, and for those who've been banging with me going back to the very beginning, somewhere in the middle, or even as early as this past Monday, I welcome you guys and gals back, and with the NFL about to shift to get into what I think is the best weekend of football by far. Certainly not the wild card weekend, which finally was capped off there on Monday where we had the two games, and I'll get into that in a minute, but the divisional round is always the best round, and what's fascinating about this one is that you have the one great game to cap off what will be four games over the weekend, two Saturday, two Sundays, we know, but the other three may not be as good as what we would expect when it comes to this round. And I'll expound on that in a minute because as we get to Saturday 4.30 where Houston will face Baltimore in Baltimore as they'll get to unveil their offense, the rest that they've had over the last few weeks, and to get ready for what would we would think would be Lamar Jackson's coming out party to finally get to not only win a big playoff game and against the Texans, To me, it's not going to be the end-all, be-all. It's going to be the week after and and obviously in a Super Bowl. 
And then right after that will be Green Bay going to San Francisco. The two one seeds will be front and center as we usher in this divisional playoff weekend. But before I even get to that, I want to start off with what happened there on Monday because we didn't get a chance to recap the entire weekend when it comes to the Super Wildcard weekend. And as we all know, the Super Wildcard weekend is a joke. We talked about the Rams-Detroit, which was by far the best game out of the six. Steelers, Bills, let me put a postmortem on the Steelers season. The slow start that they got off to, shooting themselves in the foot with the turnovers. George Pickens, the fumble there at 7-0 where the Bills went methodically down the field to open up the scoring. And then what was not necessarily the dagger, but when you get a turnover deep, In Steeler territory, the next play right in the end zone as they punch it in to make it 14-0. And even at 21-0 and a bad interception by Mason Rudolph, which would have been interesting because if they would have scored there at 14-7, who knows what the complexion of the game would look like. But at 21-0, when they do get the block field goal as the Bills are trying to extend the lead to 24-0, right before the half, the Steelers get the touchdown They tack on a field goal to make it 21-10. So now it gets a little bit interesting, even though the Bills do add a field goal to make it 24-10. But Mason Rudolph, and it seemed like the Steeler offense was starting to regroup. They were starting to get some momentum. And at 24-17, you think to yourself, if the Steelers could get a stop and somehow get an opportunity to get an equalizer to tie the game, to make things interesting in Orchard Park, And what you saw there was not the case. The Bills were able to get the next score, 31-17. And the Steelers just floundered away to where George Pickens, who had that miscue there in the first quarter, throws his helmet where he was held there. I understand that that's a call where maybe in the regular season Pickens would have gotten, but it wasn't egregious. It wasn't an infraction where the referees are going to throw the flag there. And even though Pickens was frustrated, And through his helmet, it seemed like 15 feet across the sideline. But the Steelers do not live to see another day. And a lot of the talk was about Mike Tomlin, where now it's moot. He is going to come back for the 2024 season. And I'll get to him a little bit later on because there was another big coaching, I don't want to say it was a move, but a coach that's actually going to come back next year, which is puzzling to me and I'm sure a ton of Cowboy fans. And you know I'm going to go with that in a few minutes. But the Bills who played... Very well in the game, and even though kept the Steelers hanging around and made it interesting for them, and I didn't think that the Steelers were going to come back, even though they did cut it to a one-score game there in the fourth quarter, but they were not in danger, the Bills that is, of squandering this lead. It wasn't as if the Steelers got the ball at 24-17 with a chance to tie, so therefore you didn't get that drama, you didn't get that moment where you thought, "Uh uh-oh, the Bills may be on the ropes here and the Steelers if they were able to get the ball back with the chance to tie the game that maybe it would have been a tight building a lot of the air would have been let out of that Bills Mafia crowd but we didn't get to see that and Josh Allen played great in the game had that 53 yard touchdown to make it 21 nothing with a steal of defense I don't know what they were doing at that point but for Allen who had the three touchdowns and the one touchdown run and their offense clicked in the right moments Obviously, early on in the game and in the first half to where they got the sizable lead. And then, I'm not going to say had to hang on there, but when they had to push pedal to the metal and put the game away, they were able to do that. 
So the Bills move on. They'll host the Kansas City Chiefs, which we'll get into a little bit later on. And the Steelers, I know Mason Rudolph was game. I know maybe he had to shake some early jitters there. He had that bad interception and was unable to get the offense on track until they got the block field goal where they got it deep in Bills territory and they were able to punch it into the end zone. But now the Steelers, they have an offseason to where the coach is going to come back. Who knows if they're going to work on an extension, which we've seen in years past. Is Tomlin just going to play out this year and bring that to the organization to say, yes, I'm back here in 24, but no need to offer me another contract. It'll be his 18th year in Pittsburgh. He's now the longest active tenured as far as being with one team here during this stretch where now Bill Belichick obviously out in New England. So Tomlin now has that mantle, at least for this year. But I would think that this could be it for him. Who knows if there's going to be some differences between him and Omar Khan, the GM, as far as the front office, maybe getting that quarterback to be a guy, whether they sign somebody a la Russell Wilson. Not that I would like that, but whether they get a guy of some ilk that could take them to the promised land, because I don't know if Kenny Pickett is that guy, even after two years and him being injured the latter part of this year. It's not going to be Mason Rudolph, but at least Mason Rudolph has shown you that he deserves to be a backup, which means that they could cut Mitchell Trubisky. Maybe they could draft another quarterback somewhere in the fourth, fifth, or sixth round that they could bring onto the roster, but Trubisky... He should be jettisoned. He should go elsewhere to find a backup role and maybe even start somewhere else. But for Tomlin, yes, he's going to come back. As far as after this upcoming year, I don't know if that's going to be the case. I'm sure the Steelers are going to want to work out a deal to where they'll bring him back for another two more years and maybe an option for a third. But I would think that Tomlin, as you saw him leave the press conference there on Monday to where He was asked a question, you have one more year left on your contract, and before the question was even broached, Tomlin stormed out of the press room. So maybe with Tomlin, it's a thing where, and he didn't handle that right. He just should have said, no comment at this time, I'm not going to discuss my future, etc. But who knows, maybe that was a precursor to think that, yes, I'm going to come back, but this is it. I don't want an extension. Maybe he wants to look for a different locale after this year because you know jobs are going to open up in the NFL. Who knows what those jobs are going to be, but we'll have to wait and see on that and not to really go deep into the woods with that, but we know Tomlin's going to come back as far as after 24. Who knows? And the night game, the Eagles, that is a, not only a puzzling, but that is a super confounding situation there because I thought that the Eagles would show some pride. They would show a little bit of grit. And what they did was say, we don't even want to go to the next round. We don't even want to go to Detroit. we just rather pack our bags, get ready, maybe even stay in Florida, go to South Beach, or leave out of Miami to go to the Caribbean. Because what you saw there from the Eagles, especially their defense, and I know that their offense was nicked up. They didn't have A.J. Brown. And you could question whether or not Jalen Hurts, the quarterback, was 100% healthy. But that was a mail-in job of all mail-in jobs for a team that went to a Super Bowl last year, that started off 10-1 and this year, and ended up losing six of their final seven games before saying sayonara and punting whatever opportunities or chances they had of making a deep postseason run into the Atlantic Ocean. Or maybe in this case to the panhandle there, right out of uh, Tampa Bay, because... 
That was just an inexcusable and deplorable effort by a team that was a defending conference champions. And give it up for what the Buccaneers have done. They got to the finish line barely with that win against the Carolina Panthers on the last day of the season at 9-0, but... For Baker Mayfield to throw for what? Over 330 yards, three touchdowns, the first quarterback to do so in Tampa Bay Buccaneer history. Not even Tom Brady did that during the Super Bowl run. So just think about that for a moment. But for them to win 32-9, and I understand it's more about Philadelphia than it is Tampa, similar to when the Cowboys lost. It was more about them than Green Bay winning. But there are going to be question marks abound, and you wonder whether or not the head coach is going to come back Based on what I've heard here over the last three days, that the fan base is fuming, that they want Nick Sirianni out, how everything just unraveled there in the latter part of the season, where we all know that the offensive and defensive coordinators left for greener pastures and head coaching jobs and Shane Steichen and Jonathan Gannon, and then not even mid-season, but two-thirds, almost three-quarters into a season that they brought in Matt Patricia to overlook the defense, and we saw how that unfolded as their defense couldn't even tackle me in the open field. And now you have to wonder whether or not the Eagles are going to make some wholesale changes, especially with the head coach and with the coaches that are out there, as we all know, Bill Belichick, Jim Harbaugh, Pete Carroll. You know who the suspects are. And that was one that, one more time, I thought that the Eagles, even if they would have lost 21-17 or 4 to the end, all right, fine. They didn't even do that. And for Jason Kelsey to pretty much walk off the field in tears and hug, whether it's coaching staff or even other teammates, just inexcusable. I don't even know what to say. I'm still lost for words when I think about a team that was flying high after beating Kansas City and Buffalo in back-to-back weeks before San Francisco went into the link and just spanked them. And that was the beginning of the end for this Eagle team. To the point where, one more time, at 10-1, and you won one more game the rest of the way and lost six out of those seven games. Can't make it up. And now let's see what's going to happen there in the city of brotherly love as far as what Sirianni and what the organization is going to do because, boy, there needs to be some explaining to do as far as how this team just faltered down the stretch. And now let's get to the divisional weekend where, again, you have some interesting matchups, but you have scenarios where you have the two one seeds, as I talked about, playing on Saturday, and then you have Tampa and Detroit, the 3 o'clock game, followed by What we would think right now would be an epic matchup, maybe not along the lines of what we saw two, three years ago in a championship setting for the AFC, and then the divisional round as we saw the year after, that shootout there at the end, which set the stage for the overtime rules to be changed. But we'll start with Saturday with Houston and Baltimore. Now Houston, they're coming in hot considering that they not only won a division, but they beat a very good defense in the Cleveland Browns, and obviously ran away with that game with the two pick sixes. And this comes full circle for a Texan team this year because they opened the season against the Ravens week one there in the early part of September. And I believe the final score was 25-9. Didn't really play well the first game for C.J. Stroud, as we know, and obviously the coach, D'Amico Ryans. But can the Texan magic 
Can Stroud continue to build off of what you saw there Saturday against the Brown team? And it's going to be interesting because they put up 45 points. I understand 14 by the defense. But can this trend continue of thwarting or throttling the Raven offense, trying to even maybe get them out of sync because of the long layoff, especially with the offense? Because remember, Lamar Jackson, Odell Beckham Jr., Zay Flowers, they did not play in that final game against the Steelers in Week 18. And obviously, had the bye, so they're going to be off three weeks before they could get themselves in gear. Now, can the Texans, and if they win the coin toss, I would suggest that they would take the ball, see if they could go down the field, maybe even go no huddle. Try to get the opening score at 7 nothing, and then maybe the Ravens will be on their heels. Maybe they'll try to do a little bit too much. You don't want to get that crowd. And not that it's a big home field, but you want to try to get the wind out of their sails early. We saw this five years ago when the Titans went in there. And not only that, Lamar Jackson was awful in the game, but they put up 14 points early and they couldn't recover. I would think the recipe for the Texans would be the same thing. Why not? If you win the coin toss, why bother getting the ball in the second half? Try to get the offense in sync, get them rolling, see what you could do offensively. I know that the Raven defense are going to be flying around. They're going to be amped and ready to go. Understood. But if you're the Texans and you're D'Amico Ryans, you want to be aggressive here. You don't want to play just to be in the game. You want to play to win. And for me... The way to win is to take the ball first, see what you can do offensively, and then maybe if you put up even a three spot, not to say that's going to be the end-all, be-all, but 7 nothing certainly looks a lot better than 3 nothing, or at least showing that you're going to be the aggressor here to say, this is going to be 60 minutes here, Ravens. This isn't going to be a situation where we're just going to bow down or even try to play it safe or be cautious to where John Harbaugh is going to sniff that out and know that they're going to pounce at any point to take advantage of a young Texan team where they're going to try to get them out of the game early. The Texans are going to have to use that reverse psychology to say, "Uh uh-uh, we're going to be in this game and we're going to take the ball and show that we belong in the same field with you guys. That's how I would look at it. And if you want to look at it from a karma perspective, remember, Tennessee Titans were formerly the Houston Oilers and now the Houston Texans here. Can we get a carbon copy of what we saw there five years ago when the Titans went in there and beat them? Stranger things have happened. I would think when it's all said and done, the Ravens, I could see them being a little bit out of sorts. A little bit. But I wouldn't be surprised if they come out flying out of the gate where it's 14-0 and it's six minutes to go in the first quarter where the Texans are not going to even know what to do. They're going to have their head spinning. I could see that because... Based on a lot of the stuff that I read this week, Lamar Jackson, he's focused, he is ready, he is primed to have a Super Bowl run in him. That what happened five years ago, a little bit green, maybe not too sure of himself in that setting, but now it's like, uh uh-uh, I'm going to win my second MVP, I know what it takes to be in this scenario as a one seed with a chance to win an MVP, I'm not spitting a bit here. I can see the Ravens winning this game. I'll say 27-13. I'm hoping that's not the case, but we shall see. As far as the night game, now here's what I'm going to say 
about this Green Bay-San Francisco playoff, I'll say rivalry. In the Super Bowl era, this is the most that two teams has faced one another in the playoffs since 1966. Second is Packers-Cowboys, and obviously they just played last week. But Green Bay-San Francisco, they have played now, which will be this coming Saturday, their 10th time. And this is since 1995. I mean, think about that. 95, where in that season, the Packers, or really 96, I believe, because Green Bay, if you remember, they won in San Francisco in a championship setting. They won that crazy game where T.O. caught the touchdown with five seconds to go in the end zone at Old Candlestick. And then you had all the playoff moments here in recent memory over the last 10 years. Colin Kaepernick running rough shot over their defense in a divisional round in 2013. The following year in four-degree weather where Kaepernick, short sleeves or no sleeves, went to Lambeau and beat Aaron Rodgers there. We know about the NFC Championship just a few years ago when, I believe, Raheem Mostert and company, that rushed for 220 yards on the ground. Just two years ago when the... Packers, Aaron Rodgers were unable to get out of the divisional round after a 7-0 lead where Garoppolo was the quarterback and their special teams faltered to the point where the Niners won 13-10. And then now you have this scenario. And I mentioned all those recent games because the football gods owe the Packers. Could you imagine with the hot start and the 48 points they put up against the Cowboys... And for them to go to Santa Clara, and that's not a big home field by any stretch. That's not the old candlestick, and that's not a place where it is known for a big home field advantage. But can the Packers pull another scenario where they come out of the gate flying, where they are able to put the Niners at bay, And Brock Purdy may force some throws in there and maybe some miscues along the way to where the Niners are going to be going uphill for, I'm not going to say most of the game, similar to what you saw against Dallas there on Sunday where the Packers just jumped out to a 27-0 lead. I'm not going to say that that's going to happen, but hey, maybe they go up 10-0. Maybe they're up 17-10 at the half to where they have to play from behind. And just like I've talked about week in and week out, Same with the Ravens. They are a front-running team. They want to play from ahead. They do not want to play from behind. And if the Packers somehow, someway could get themselves in this game to where, dare I say, even lead going into the second half or be within one score, that could bode well for them. And one more time, the football god somewhere may be thinking that the Packers, as a seventh seed, the first seventh seed to win in this new format with the wild card, can they pull off another ginormous upset I don't think that's going to be the case I would love to see the Niners lose here and here's another thing about San Francisco and I even got into it with someone on Facebook if you can believe that of course social media we know how people could come out of the woodwork to say things with Dallas and Philadelphia out in the postseason and I get it that San Francisco annihilated both of them in a regular season but you never know if Dallas were to finally get hot and let's say they would would have won their two home playoff games 
And even though they lost 42-10 in the regular season, who knows? And let's say if Philly got on that high horse and beat Tampa and then beat Detroit to now they were going to face Philly in a championship for the NFC, you would have thought, hey, maybe Philly, even though they lost 42-19 there in early December, but may, or 42-17, whatever it was, maybe they can exact some revenge. Obviously, that's not going to be the case. They have either Tampa, Green Bay in front of them now, or Detroit. And I understand Detroit could be a tough team. But is anybody going to think that even if Detroit beats Tampa, that they're going to go into Santa Clara and beat the Niners? Could it happen? Of course it could. But it's not as if they're going to go up against a Dallas team that knows them well or a Philly team that knows them well. They're going to go up against a Detroit team that is going to make their first conference championship, if that's the case, since 1991. And nobody's going to expect them to win. And I get it. Dan Campbell, Jared Goff. He took his team to a Super Bowl when he was with the Rams. All of it. Understood. But the red carpet has been rolled out for the Niners to get to a Super Bowl that they would need to be an investigation if they do not make it to Las Vegas to represent the NFC in Super Bowl 58. I don't want to hear it. It may be a diss toward the Detroit Lions fan, and I'm rooting for Detroit big time to get to a Super Bowl. Why not? The Lions have never been to a Super Bowl. How could any sports fan out there think that, all right, they may not believe they can get to a Super Bowl, but how could you not root for the Lions to get to a Super Bowl? But I don't know. We have to wait till after this week to see. And that's why I'm throwing all this mojo about the Packers and the football gods owing them one, considering that the Niners have spanked them here over the last decade. But the Niners have it tailor-made to get to a Super Bowl. And when we talk about storylines, and now I can encapsulate this first two games right here. Storyline number one is Lamar Jackson. All the pressure is on him to get to, I'll maybe not say win a Super Bowl, but to get to a Super Bowl, absolutely. No excuses. And if he plays poorly and the team wins, okay, fine. That he's going to get away with for one week. But the following week, he's not going to get away with that because he's going to face either... Patrick Mahomes or Josh Allen. So we'll worry about that if we do get to that point. But the bullseye squarely on him to produce and produce big. He got paid the big bucks here this past offseason, and now he's got to produce big results. And then the other one is Kyle Shanahan. He needs to get to a Super Bowl and win. No more fooling around. We saw what happened in Miami, Super Bowl 54. I get it, Emmanuel Sanders, that ball, Jimmy Garoppolo, overthrown. If that was a touchdown, they probably would have won the Super Bowl. And as a coordinator, we saw what happened there against New England down or up 28-3. And even though they went to a conference championship two years ago against the Rams and lost a tough game, even then, Tukwiski Tart had an interception that I could have caught that would have sealed the deal for the Rams not going to a Super Bowl. Now's the time. For all of his offensive genius, for all of what he's done here as a coach over the last few years, he has not won a Super Bowl. And before he can be a great coach, you got to get to that mountaintop. So Lamar Jackson, Kyle Shanahan, it's all in front of them. Let's see what they do and it all starts Saturday. And then on Sunday, the third storyline is the Bills, and I'll get to them in a second. Tampa and Detroit. Listen, can Tampa go in there and win the game? Of course they can. But I think the 
Lion fan that finally got a taste of victory in their own building that they haven't seen in over three decades. And yes, I get it that this could be a bitter loss. It's not as if they're having Philadelphia go in there that has a pedigree. It's not as if they're having another team that has playoff experience. And funny enough, Tampa with Todd Bowles, who we understand was a coordinator when they won the Super Bowl, and even though as a playoff team last year, one and done was the head coach, and now they got a win under their belt, you can't underestimate them. Because they do have players on that team that have won and know what it takes to win. So we just can't look at Tampa with Todd Bowles, there's no Tom Brady, Baker Mayfield, the clock will strike 12 on him. The guy has guts. He may not have the ability of even people in his own draft class, i.e. Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson. But the guy is a gamer. And if they're hanging around this game, that would be dangerous for the Lions. If I'm Dan Campbell, I'd want to not only play from in front, but I'd want to try to blow this team out. Because once it's, let's say, 21-3 or 20-6, and it's in the third quarter, all right, fine. Maybe Tampa, they're going to try to do too much. Baker, that's where... Guts and guile is not going to be enough. You're going to have to have the talent. You're going to have to have the know-how. But they cannot have Tampa hanging around this game at all. Can Tampa win this game? Absolutely. But I think with the way the week is gone, hopefully it's not a read-the-press-clippings type of week and to underestimate their opponent because this could be dangerous for a Lion team that thinks that, oh, well, Tampa, all right, they beat Philly. Philly was wounded, etc., but... We'll take care of them. And the next thing you know, it's 17 up in the fourth quarter with Tampa having the ball with four minutes to go. And that building will be tight as a drum if that's the case. I would think that the Lions will prevail here. I think it's going to be close. And I think it's going to be one of those danger games. Now, I understand that they dodged a little bit of a bullet there with the Rams Sunday night. But how I look at it, I think this is going to be a tooth and nail game. I think that the Lions will even hang on. Just like they hung on the win on Sunday. I can see this being close. I can see this being similar to what we saw there Sunday night. I know the final score was what? 24-23. I could see it being somewhere along those lines. I'll say 23-21 Lions. And then the final game. How I look at this. We could talk about Kansas City having Buffalo's number in the postseason because we know Buffalo went into Arrowhead and won just, what, six, seven weeks ago? And you had the controversial lateral there. Well, it wasn't the lateral that was controversial, but the offsides or the toe on the line by Kadarius Tony, where the play to Kelsey was then lateral to Tony, who... Ran it into the end zone, what looks like it was going to be a heroic game-saving and game-winning play. And, of course, that was not the case. So, for Buffalo, and I'm going to put it on them now. They won five in a row to win a division. They were 6-6, six and six, and then they beat Pittsburgh, as we know. And now, they have to slay this dragon. They lost in an AFC Championship game, as we know, three years ago. And then two years ago, they lost an epic divisional playoff round. As I mentioned, with the overtime rules being changed. Now, it's all right in front of them. I said it before and I'll say it again. 
to me, the Bills, I'm not going to say it's right in front of them because although it is, but they have to get past this Chief team. It's not a vintage Chief team, and I understand they won a Super Bowl last year. But we understand with the quarterback and with the coach who knows what it takes to win, I understand the adjustments could be questionable based on what we've seen in Andy Reid throughout the course of his career. But if the Chiefs are hanging around, that's going to be danger for the Bills. And not to say there's going to be a blowout or not to say they got to put them away early and often, which would be a great recipe for success, that's for sure. But I think if the Bills win this game, they'll go to a Super Bowl. I really believe that. I think they'll go into Baltimore if that's going to be the case. And I could see them beating the Ravens. Now, the Chief defense is better than the Bills defense. And that's the one thing that I would worry about if I'm the Bills, Sean McDermott, Josh Allen, Bills Mafia, etc. Because I think they could slow down this Bill offense or even force them into turnovers where we've seen Josh Allen, although... He's Superman, but at the same time, the kryptonite could be Kansas City and even their defense for that matter. And I'm not trying to make out their defense to be the 85 Bears, but we've seen this Chief defense be pretty stout here along the way as far as slowing down big-time offenses. We saw that with the Dolphins, and I understand the Dolphins are paper tigers, but that's just an example. This is a tough game to call. It's tough to bet against Mahomes, but I think this could be the Bills' time. This is the first playoff road game for Patrick Mahomes in his career. And I'm sure he's probably heard that all week. They've never been on the road. They've never been in a hostile environment. If there's one team that could play in a hostile environment, I think it's them. And I would not be shocked if they win, of course. But I'm going to say, and I picked them to go to the Super Bowl, I'm going to say the Bills eke out a classic Game And I'm going to say it's 27-24. I'm not going to say, is it now or never for this Bills team? Absolutely not. But the game is in their building. They have to exercise a demon, and that being the team that wears the red and gold. And if they're not going to do it here, when are they ever going to do it? And that's why I'm picking them. And quickly, let's talk about Mike McCarthy. I said this on Monday, I actually opened the podcast with the Cowboys and McCarthy and his future. Jerry Jones, he's got to cut the heartstrings when it comes to him being so attached to his coaches. We know that Jason Garrett stood probably one or at least two years too long. And we understand that the job McCarthy has done 36-15 and over the last three years, two division titles, one playoff win. But Jerry Jones knows better. It's not about playoff wins with this team. It's Super Bowls. They have not seen a Super Bowl in 28 years. And McCarthy, he did not deserve to come back because if they would have lost a nail-biter, if he would have lost a tough game that would have just stuck to your ribs, that would have just been, ah, similar to what in Dak Prescott's first ever playoff game, where Aaron Rodgers on a 3rd and 20 made that throw to Jared Cook and they won, what was it, 34-31 I think was the final. If they lost a game like that, as tough as that would have been to swallow, you would have said, all right, 
Mike McCarthy deserves to come back. And the irony is that Mike McCarthy was on that sideline that day where Aaron Rodgers literally ripped the heart out of the Cowboy fans and their team. But for him to come back after that debacle, 27-0, Dak Prescott with those two interceptions and the pick six at 20 to nothing, and then to be down with six minutes to go, 48-16, in your building where you won 16 straight? How does this man come back? That's where Jerry Jones is lost. And I understand it's a tough band-aid to rip. I'm sure he loves McCarthy. Obviously, he loves him because he's still on the team. But uh-uh, it's about Super Bowls. This team hasn't sniffed the Super Bowl in forever. They haven't even sniffed the conference championship. Or championship game. To me, if I know my cousin JD has to be sick to his stomach. And I haven't even heard from him since. So, I'm just going to leave it there. Why he comes back is beyond me. Especially when you have all the aforementioned coaches that are out there. Uh, Well, anyway, let me move on. That's it with the football. I'm going to turn my attention to the association as I lace up my high tops. And get to the latest of what's happening there. And the big news yesterday was the trade for Pascal Siakam. Now, I understand it's not going to move the needle too much because it doesn't involve the Celtics, the Lakers, the Warriors. And the Warriors went through some tragedy, which I'll get to, and that's just a terrible story. It doesn't involve those teams. It involves a Pacer team that, let's face it, they're trying to at least go for it. They're trying to see what they could do to compete in an Eastern Conference with the Celtics, with the Bucks, with the Sixers. And the Pacers, who have shown a little something this year, they did make it to a, if you want to even count this, an in-season tournament championship with the Lakers. And I understand you're probably laughing big time. And yes, we can laugh at that 100%. But the Pacers, who are currently 7th in the East, 23-17, and respectable record, and they're just a half game behind the Knicks and Heat in the conference, and one game, although two in a loss, behind the Cavaliers, making this trade for Pascal Siakam, who is a champion. Remember, he was part of that championship team in 2018. Or was it 2019? 2019, because the Warriors won in 2018. Kawhi Leonard, Kyle Lowry, beating the Warriors in six games. And for them to make this trade where they gave up Bruce Brown and three future number ones, they had to get the Pelicans involved as well. It's a bold move. And I think it's a very good move. Because it'll keep them relevant. It'll keep them maybe anywhere between four and seven. Maybe three. Could they overtake the Sixers there in the third spot? Who knows? But all I'll say is this. They could try. They have a very good coach in Rick Carlisle, as we know. And they can maybe make some noise. Get out of the first round. Be competitive in the second round. Can they get to a conference final? Among the likes of the Celtics, Bucks, and Sixers? I don't think so. But you got to give them an A for effort. They're trying. They're not just resting their laurels on Tyrese Halliburton and Miles Turner They're bringing in another guy who can score, who's a glue guy, play defense, and like I said, they can make some noise. 
Maybe they could get to a seventh game in a conference semifinal. But when it's all said and done, is that what it's about when you're playing in the NBA is to get to a second round and get to a seventh game? Maybe for this year, okay, fine. But for the years to come, where the Bucks are going to have Giannis and Lillard, the Celtics are going to have Tatum and Brown, the Sixers are going to have Embiid and Tyrese Maxey. I know the Cavaliers, they've made a push here where they've won six in a row behind Donovan Mitchell, Evan Mobley, and their young crew, Darius Garland. But even then, are they a team that's going to compete with the aforementioned Big Three in the East? I can't say they are. Not to say it's formality, it's going to be Bucks and Celtics. We understand an injury, strange things have happened. Look last year, where Giannis was out two and a half games and the Heat as an eight seed beat the Milwaukee Bucks in an 8-1 matchup. I get it. But in the NBA, you got to have that camaraderie, you got to have that big-time superstar player. We understand Tyrese Halliburton is growing up right in front of our eyes to be that guy, to be, maybe, it's a reach to be a all-NBA first team, but you would think he's going to be second team minimum if he continues to play at this clip. But is it going to be enough to get them to an Eastern Conference Final? I'd have to say no at this very moment. But you know what? At least they're trying. At least they're trying to push their chips to the middle of the table to say, all right, we're in. What are we going to do with this bet? What are we going to do with this? Not a gamble, but I commend them for making this trade. But I don't know if it's going to stack up with the big dogs in the East. I just don't think. And then you had that tragedy with the Warriors and they postponed the game last night but Tuesday night at a dinner with the Warriors coaches and I believe some players one of their assistants Dehan Milojevic who at the time we didn't know what went on we knew that he had to be rushed to a hospital that it was serious we didn't know the extent of it but then we found out yesterday that he passed away of a heart attack and With the game already being postponed, obviously it was serious. We didn't know to the severity of how big this situation was unfolding. We didn't know that he had a health issue or even a heart issue for that matter. And then when we find out that he passed away at the age of 46, uh, and he's a guy that is from Serbia. He worked with a young Nikola Jokic during his early development being a fellow countryman. So I'm sure when Jokic got the news, he had to be despondent. And they were off yesterday as the next game was in Boston on Friday. So I'm sure he's taking this very hard. But for the Warriors, who, as we all know, they have had a rough year so far. We've chronicled the whole scenario regarding he, Steve Kerr, the coach, and Draymond Green, that situation. And now who knows if this is going to be a rallying cry to play for Milosevic in his honor to play out the rest of the season to be that rallying cry to get the troops together to play for him in his absence and to be the inspiration to maybe get the season on track. All right, we'll have to wait and see about that because the Warriors, as we've seen, they've been floundering all year, but just a terrible story. Thoughts, prayers, condolences go out to his family as he leaves behind a wife and a couple of kids. The Warriors, the NBA, etc. Just a tragic, just terrible story, no matter how you slice it. 
In other news, Josh Giddy, the investigation has now been completed when it comes to that scenario with the minor that he was in a relationship with, and that just had tinges of Wanda Franco written all over it, and not to try to compare that scenario with this, but considering here's a guy in the NBA that was dating somebody that was underaged, and we know in this day and age, in this world, that is going to be on high alert, and the NBA, they certainly weren't going to tolerate that, but there isn't any wrongdoing. He's been cleared of whatever potential or even possible effects from a, I don't want to say criminal standpoint, but certainly he doesn't have to worry from here on out about him having to look over his shoulder to think that his career could be in jeopardy or even to feel as if there's going to be any type of penalty or suspension or anything of that like. So the Oklahoma City Thunder, as we talked about for the last few weeks, they've had a big year to date. And Giddy, as we all know, is a very good player, very solid player, borderline all-star type player that is looking to see if the Thunder could go to heights that they haven't seen as far as being an organization. We understand the one NBA final back in 2012. But we know that the Thunder are within arm's length of the one seed out west, just two games behind the T-Wolves. And now they could put this behind them and not have to worry about any cloud or anything hanging over them regarding one of their key players. So that's some good news on that front. And then a couple of things that I didn't really discuss. I mentioned the in-season tournament with the Pacers and how the NBA, they're going to have another in-season tournament next year. There are going to be some tweaks that has not been revealed as to what's going to happen or when this is going to take place. I'm sure they're probably going to target that same time frame from the early part of November into early December. I think they should move it. And I understand that that's dangerous because let's say if you try to postpone it until, let's say from January into February, that's right into the teeth of the NFL playoffs. And as we know, that's going to swallow up everything not only just with what's happening on the field, but even off the field in this particular case. Could you imagine if the NBA in-season tournament cup or whatever it is was being played now where you had Bill Belichick out, even Nick Saban retiring, how that news, although it's not NFL, but it's in relation to football and all the other openings where these coaches could possibly go to, nobody would even think about what's happening with the NBA. And I even talked about this on Monday. If anybody's really paying attention to what's happening, considering at the start of the year, you haven't really heard any rumblings, anything that could move the needle when it comes to the association. And it's been relatively quiet. Yes, we've had some teams go on some winning streaks. Yes, we've had teams that have played well. Teams that have moved up in the ranks a little bit. Even we talked about it with the Pacers making that trade, which to me... It's significant, but does that mean they're going to be over the top? Of course, I don't think that's going to be the case. But even with a team, let's say Utah, that they've won six in a row, and they've really done well. I mean, when you look at Will Hardy, a guy that came from the Celtics, and they traded their two best players, not this past offseason, the offseason before, Donovan Mitchell, Rudy Gobert, and... I thought they were going to be an under at 24 and a half, and they won, I think, somewhere in the low 30s. And here they are now. I understand a six-game winning streak, and they're just a couple games over 500. But that is a team that is looking to rebuild, and I understand they have a good young player. He's been around quite a few years, Laurie Markkinen. And they've 
certainly overachieved and played well above their heads. But we could talk about this to a blue in the face how some of these teams have played well and have been on the NBA radar. But when it's all said and done, when you get to the postseason, we know that the cream's going to rise to the top, whether that means Boston, Milwaukee, Denver, the Clippers, if they have a big year, is Oklahoma City going to be part of that championship mix? Denver, as I mentioned, these are teams that we would think when the postseason begins sometime in April, there's going to be a handful of teams that are going to be in the running for an NBA championship. And you're not going to think it's going to be the Utah Jazz or the Indiana Pacers or even the New York Knicks for that matter. So that's the one thing about the NBA. It does get swallowed up. And even with the in-season tournament, who knows what that's going to mean for the league moving forward as, like I said, they're tweaking and nothing has been revealed as far as when it's going to take place or what type of tweaks are going to be in place for the next iteration of this NBA Cup. And then also the draft is going to be a two-night event. I don't know if you saw that. So you're not going to have a scenario where it's all in one night. It's usually that Thursday, Barclays Center in Brooklyn where there's only two rounds. But because the second round goes fast, I believe the picks are five minutes in between. So therefore, transactions and things of that nature can't really, not to say it's not going to take place, but it becomes a little bit more rushed. And it's a scenario where the GMs really have to work fast and furious to consummate trades. So now it's going to be a thing where the first round is Wednesday night and then the second round Thursday to give teams time to make trades, not speed up the draft selection process. So... They're going to use that latter part of June, which at that time, it's only baseball. Nothing else is going on in the world of sports, especially when it comes to the four major sports. So I think that's a good move by the NBA so they can have the two nights. I understand it's not going to have the same pizzazz or the same type of attention or intrigue that the NFL draft has. And we understand that that's a three-night event or three-day event. It has the first round, second and third, and then four through seven on that Saturday. But... It's good that they're changing it up and not only that, making it a two-day event so they could have the process of the draft not be sped up and when it comes to trades, it's not happening in a blender that they're actually taking time and making these deals more so on the clock as opposed to trying to squeeze it all in in five minutes. So good for them and doing that. NHL has been rather quiet. I don't know what else to say about that. I pretty much said the same thing the other day when it comes to some of these teams and just the NHL on a whole. I know Patrick Kane is going to be out of the lineup and I talked about him when he first signed with the Red Wings. Now, the injury that he suffered isn't related to his hip that was surgically repaired and he's done pretty well. He had a slow start in his first couple of games but then turned it on here to where he scored 16 points, 7 goals, 9 assists in 19 games. But he does have a lower body injury Who knows how long he's going to be out. He will miss the remainder of their road trip. So we'll have to wait and see what the status of Kane is going to be. But the Red Wings, who have played better this year than they have in years past. So that you have to pay attention to. But the Red Wings overall being third, 51 points in the Atlantic. They're actually a point ahead of the Maple Leafs. And the Maple Leafs have lost four in a row here. And the Maple Leafs, as we all know, it's about the spring And them trying to get that elusive Stanley Cup. But that's for down the road. But other than that, the NHL 
is where it's at. And can I just throw in something about the Islanders real quick? Two and a half weeks ago, I talked about how they shot up the Metropolitan to where they were in second place behind the Rangers. And you thought to yourself, wow, Lane Lambert, what a good job. And what he's had to not necessarily overcome, but they had a slow start. And then they got their sea legs and they actually played well in the latter part of December into the early part of January. And now here we are getting into late January. And they went from second place in the division all the way down to sixth. And I get it that they're only separated by six points between the Flyers who are currently in second place and where they are just one point ahead of the Devils. But they have not played well here. They've had bad third periods. They're on a trip here where they lost at Minnesota. They lost in Winnipeg. And they're back to being that floundering team that we saw here over the course of the first six weeks of the season. So we'll continue to keep our eyes on that. And Edmonton continues to roll. They've won 11 in a row. And there's still a point behind the Kings there, even with them going on this winning streak as the NHL hits the halfway point. And nothing's happened in baseball. Nothing with the signings of the Blake Snells, Cody Bellinger, Matt Chapman, Josh Hader. I talked about that on Monday. So if you want to go back to Monday's podcast with the timestamp, you could certainly take a look at it there. But to close out with the Australian Open... And as I get my tennis racket, the women's side now, it is up for grabs. I know Iga Swiatek survived a scare where she was down 4-1 in the third set before winning. And that would have been just brutal when you look at the women's side because you've already had Jessica Pagula out. You had Elena Rabakina who lost a 42-point tie-breaking match set, the longest In Grand Slam history, and I believe that's men's and women's, where Anna Blinkova won 22-20 in that final set as she advances, and Pagula, or excuse me, Rabakina is out. I mentioned Jessica Pagula, she's out. Anjabor, who I've liked, the sixth-ranked player in the world, she's gone. Caroline Wozniacki, I understand by name, she's also out. And with Switek surviving that, scare where she could have been ousted I get it you still have Coco Goff I get it you still have a couple of other top women's players but you have five of the top 10 out who are ranked they are down under and you're not even past the first week of the tournament so who knows you may have a collision course with the number one ranked player in the world and Coco Goff when it's all said and done so we'll have to wait and see there but we've certainly had a shift with a lot of these top women's players out So we'll have to pay attention to see how that shakes down here over the course of the next few days heading into Monday's podcast. So you know I'll be on top of that. And the men's, it's pretty much been chalk. No big names have left. I know that Novak Djokovic, he's actually been going through it a little bit here. We talked about him losing to that Croatian, or excuse me, not losing. I take that back. Faux pas on my part. But for Djokovic, who also had a tough go-around in his second match, or I think it was his third round match at this point, and for Djokovic, you kind of wonder whether or not he had a tough first round match, and then here he is going through it a little bit where I believe in the third set he was down before winning in four sets. Let me pull that up just so I could be accurate here. He won his last match in four sets. He had the tiebreaker in the third set after losing the second set 4-6, 
And then there was also a person that was heckling him, but that's besides the point. But for Djokovic, who had to overcome a second round against a local in a one, Alexei Paparin, who's from Australia, you wonder whether or not Djokovic, not to say that his focus is off or who knows what it is, but he has not been crisp. He's not been the dominant Djokovic that you would expect for him to win in three easy sets or at least maybe in a fourth set to where he didn't really have to break out a sweat. But considering in the first round he went four sets against an 18-year-old who wasn't even ranked, and then now with Pupper in here where he went to another four set where he had to scratch and claw a little bit, who knows if that's going to be a scenario where that could catch up to him in the long run. We'll have to wait and see about that. But then you also had, <clears throat> excuse me, with Carlos Alcaraz and Alexander Zverev. They reached the third round, but they also had a couple of battles along the way where Alcaraz won in four sets, but he had two tie-breaking sets. One he lost in the second set, and then he did win the third or the fourth set as a tie-break to survive that. And then Severev also had to do the same in advancing to a third round. So not a lot of intrigue on the men's side, although you've had a couple of instances where maybe you raise an eyebrow, but these guys survived. It's not as if they were pushed to the brink in a fifth set and had to play four and a half hours to do so. So we will certainly keep our eyes on what's happening down under as we get through the first week of the first Grand Slam of the new year. And... That'll do it, my good people. Another episode just about in the books. As always, thank you so much for stopping by, for adding a little bit of a contribution on your part to listen to what it is I have to say about what goes on in the world of sports. Trust me, it goes without saying how much I appreciate it. Carving out precious time out of your day to listen in on the podcast, not only today, whether in the past, but hopefully in the future as well. If you want to hit me up with a question, comment, or suggestion, you could do so at the following on my YouTube channel, at Reels where I post daily with shorts and just one-minute blurbs on what's happening in the world of sports. On Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, the J Reels Podcast. Twitter, X, J Reels, one, just a number. The old-fashioned way, the J Reels Podcast at gmail.com. Hit me up. I'll be more than happy to follow up with you guys and gals because whether you do or do not know, this is what I love to do, people. It's in the blood. It's in the DNA. Sports since day one, out of the womb. As I continue to bring the fire, passion, energy, and fury with my thoughts, opinions, critiques, praise, analysis on anything and everything that happens on the world of the diamond, ice, gridiron, hardwood, golf course, racetrack, tennis court, boxing ring, octagon, you name it. From my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are, the J Reels Podcast always comes correct, direct, and in full effect. From the South Bronx to South Beach to South Central to South Pacific and all points beyond, peace, love, and God bless everybody. And until next time on the J Reels Podcast, on the flip, baby.